You're listening to the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health podcast series from the Digital Health Council, where we aim to support healthcare innovation by disseminating knowledge of expert leaders at the Royal Society of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Marla Morkin. Welcome back to another episode of the Royal Society of Medicine's Digital Health podcast series from the Digital Health Council. In this episode, we speak with Barbara OJ Guazian, the founder of A Touch of Colour and currently the head of incident response at the Department of Health and Social Care. She was previously private secretary to the UK's chief medical officer and was project manager at the Health Innovation Network. Barbara is passionate about diversity and inclusion. And in this episode, we speak about the importance of building healthcare innovation for diverse populations by diverse founders. We also discuss how we can encourage community-led innovation for sustainable local change. As a reminder, all views expressed in this episode are of the speakers themselves. Enjoy. Thank you for having me, Mala. Um, I'm doing really well, thank you. Keeping busy um, at work, as you'd expect. Um, <laughs> of course, of course. And please, can you tell our listeners about like what you do and how you've got there and how, you, yeah, how you've ended up in this world of um, the future of healthcare? Gladly. Um, so I'm currently working in Department for Health um, and Social Care, as Mala mentioned, and I am the head of incident response. And that entails kind of supporting incidents across all physical test sites. So that's mean mobile testing units, um, regional test sites and local test sites. Um, and it's really, really interesting um, area of work um, that I really enjoy and I have a great team. Um, so that has been great. In terms of kind of how I got here, I think, I hope you have time because it might be a long one. <laughs> of um, course, of course. <laughs> it, was, it was not a straight journey, I'll tell you that much. Um, when I was younger, I had dreams and ambitions of being a doctor. Um, and what can I say? I had everything lined up, science is ready. And I remember doing... Uh, an internship in my local hospital for like a week just to give you an insight into life of medicine and I remember almost fainting at the side of blood <laughs> and apparently that's not you know something that's great for doctors you need to be able to handle blood and that's when I realized that okay my suggested career path is not going to work out much to the dismay of my mom who was already bragging to her friends of her future doctor so um yeah, from that, I think I, I was a bit lost because I think I, I'd really clung onto medicine for the longest time. I'm being this 15 year old now realizing that I hate blood. <laughs> it's gonna work out. What am I going to go to next? Um, and then I had this idea of just working in banking. Um, I thought, okay, I love the, the look of having like a briefcase and my pencil skirt and kind of walking around through, you know, Canary Wharf. I'll go with that. That'll be my next option. So I, you know, I, I was still very much thinking about going to banking, but I had a really deep interest for science. Um, and I always, so I do quite a lot of, sort of, sorry, I do quite a lot of outreach. And within that, I tell all these students that I, I speak to um, that if you're going to go to uni and have to pay money to go to university, pay to learn something you're really interested about. So I think I was very realistic for a 15 year old between the, you know, the, difference between a job and kind of a passion and I was really passionate about science um so I you know I did internships in like banking so Barclays Bank Lloyd's Bank but I thought I was gonna go and do biochemistry that was kind of what I thought I was gonna go and do so I went to an open day with my family Nottingham University um you know great 
great you know building by the way beautiful lake um but i remember falling asleep um in the 45 minute test session for biochem and i was like this is not a good sign you know if you want to lectures are longer than 45 minutes so this is not a good sign so i thought okay i'm gonna drop chemistry i love biology like right before applying for ucas i was getting really excited about biology um so i just went for it and i ended up going to the university of sheffield um where i did biology and it has you know been one of the best decisions i've ever made um i really really enjoyed it uh, i really specific you know focused I know a lot of people hear biology and think straight away human biology, but for me, biology at Sheffield was really animal and plants. So I focus on animal sexual behavior um, and I had a great time. I learned so, you know, I'm the go-to person post-COVID, dinner parties, that's where I really shine. Um, I have all the random facts about who makes when, who makes the most, and all of those interesting things that keep you invited to dinner parties. Um, so yeah i did that and i got to go to philadelphia for a year as part of my study abroad and that's when i got to do a bit more kind of genetics and um more of the human biology aspects so learning about stress and things like that um, but i really enjoyed it did my master's course in sheffield um so that's where i spent my i tell everybody that you know i spent my summer looking at crickets mating so i looked at the mating behavior of crickets um which is really interesting but that's probably for another podcast episode um, <laughs> So after that, as I mentioned, I've done quite a lot of internships um, with banking. But in my last internship at Lloyds Bank, I just realized that it wasn't quite for me. Um, I, you know, I have many great banker friends, but for me, on a kind of deeper level, it wasn't something that I felt like was fulfilling me. So I decided, you know, my friend said, "Could you about civil service fast stream?" And I was like, "Oh, you know, I haven't really engaged with that. Like, what is it about?" And uh, you know, she was telling me about it, and I, I was intrigued, so I applied and I got through and I was over the moon because for me the bigger thing was I always feel that often things happen to people and people don't get to decide and we need to make sure that there's diversity in the in the table that's making decisions so for me like a young girl you know that, that grew up in like barking and taking them you know for me to be in civil service it was something that was never told like that's an option for you um so when i got in it was just really amazing because ultimately my main passion and focus was to be able to go in and, and make a difference so i was like i want to make a positive difference and we're better than the civil service so from there i just kind of got thrown into this amazing um graduate scheme where i got to work in lots of different areas um and still joining in i i kind of went for the generalist fast stream because I still wasn't quite sure where exactly I wanted to go, but I just knew that I want to make a positive difference. Um, so I started in the department for work and pensions and then wanted to move to the department for business, energy and industrial strategy, where I got to work on the 2.4% research and development target. And that was really, really interesting. So in 2017, um, in the industrial strategy white paper, paper, the UK government set an ambition for the UK to increase its total R&D expenditure to 2.4% of GDP by 2027. And of course, for, for this to happen, it required a combined public and private effort um, to achieve this target. And I got to kind of work to understand the space, what had already been done before. So looking at kind of country comparators and having a lot of discussions with, with colleagues across the world. Um, and for me, the one thing that really stood out is the fact that the UK does really lead in kind of the 
the the ideas aspects the educational aspects people want to come to the uk to study but there was definitely like i feel personally that there's a bridge between um the amazing things that happen at university but we should be having more products you know coming up from university students because this there's so much happening like you know we have some of the greatest universities in the world but we need to be able to transfer that to a viable product um so that's kind of why i came out for that and i was very fortunate that from that kind of posting i was um sent to do a secondment outside of government so i went to the health innovation network uh, which i believe one of your previous speaker um also worked worked there dr charlotte lee um and it was really really interesting so the health innovation network is the south london ahsn which is the academic health science network um and they work together with a variety of health and care teams in south london to speed up the best of healthcare for our communities um which is something again that i thought you know a really strong mission statement um and they're really uniquely positioned to help because i think i, I learned from that that innovators is it's quite a complex space trying to navigate kind of the nhs and innovator and what they're there to do is to try and support um kind of innovators seeking to work with the healthcare sector and helping them understand what and where the challenges are and kind of the financial and clinical evidence required to kind of solve these barriers in place so i i had an amazing six months there learned so much um and then from there i then went on to work in the department for trade where i was working in kind of setting up what the space for what the uk would look like um after the eu exit and now ultimately went to department for health where i got to work as a private secretary for the chief medical officer um and then let's let's just take that you were the private secretary for the the chief medical officer that is fantastic yeah that's correct it was a really really interesting time to be kind of in that space um the pandemic you know i was there Few months before the pandemic um and then it happened but it was yeah it was really really interesting um one of those things that you tell your kids about for sure um and now i have moved from there and as i mentioned earlier i'm working um in covid 19 response i hope that wasn't too long sorry i have like i said it's not a straightforward journey i i think that this is one of the most interesting ones we've had on the podcast because actually as you say, you initially really, really liked healthcare and then you weaved your way around through business, picking up different skill sets and then ultimately have swung back into health and care. But I think from, and I don't want to put words into your mouth, right, but from, from what it sounds like with a renewed and refreshed outlook of the different healthcare inequalities, the social the social angles as well and like all of the different industry things that you've picked up along the way that can now actually help you i actually think that this is an education perhaps everyone that goes <laughs> that goes into this type of work should have <laughs> oh thank you thank you no i think it was really keen for me i think especially aware that i could do it as a comment because i'm keen to ensure that when you work in government it can be easy for you to almost forget what it's like to be on the ground. So working the Health Innovation Network really gave me that renewed perspective, sitting with the innovators and kind of the clinics that, you know, the the, the innovation clinics that, that are run. I got to understand what issues they're facing. So that was really, really interesting. And so from your experience at the Health Innovation Network and your time in, in the Department of Health and, and working on, on the research targets, 
Have you um, been working closely with um, any of the different healthcare innovations that are happening in the UK and helping um, with, the, with the healthcare scene to, to grow in that way? I have. I'm going to work with some of the, some really interesting ones. I think within the um, Health Innovation Network, they partner with PwC Health and they do a scale up. Um, and that's just for innovators to be able to expand and kind of grow. And it was so interesting to learn some of the amazing things. Um, I think as it's been noted in the podcast before, um, we need to ensure that we are maximizing the times that doctors can spend kind of doctoring i'm not going to try and summarize all the things that um doctors have to do but there's so much that innovation can take a space to limit the other things that you know can be automated and you know you could just tap an app to kind of get it done um so that's kind of the best way i don't want to kind of just start naming a few for for shame of not giving everyone an equal space Exactly. And, and, and you were, we were speaking offline as well about some of the work you've done in, in wearable tech. I'd love, um, I'd love to hear more about that. Um, so I think I wouldn't say work as such, but definitely kind of my interest outside of work is, is in wearable tech. Um, if you ask anyone in the office, I have my Fitbit at all times. <laughs> Constantly, I am the one who's most likely to be pacing up and down just to get my, my step challenge. Um, so I think wearable tech is just such a an interesting space you know it's made it so that we can we know so much of ourselves I always think that it's like you're basically working with a mini hospital strapped to your wrist at all times you know mm. some of the wearable tech you can find out your blood oxygen your blood pressure you can monitor your heart rate even stress tracking um and I think that's really a great thing because it really does incentivize healthy behavior um and again like I mentioned I am I will have like walking meetings, anything to make sure that I get my steps. 11,000. You should have recorded this podcast on a, on a walking meeting. That could have been fun, wouldn't it? Honestly, I, I, would, I would be down for that. Anything I can do to get the steps up. But I think for me, within that space, um, however, I'm, I'm, I'm interested and passionate about ensuring that these tools are consciously designed with the forethought and inclusivity in mind, not only because it's the right thing to do, but it, it makes business sense. Um, I'm sure you might have heard some anecdotal evidence, and I believe in the US some, some lawsuits are pending on wearable tech not working quite as well for people of color. Um, and I am no expert here, but I believe that because of the fact that wearable tech kind of functions would be on green light, that's what it uses to determine the, um, the change in coloration of your blood vessels, which then uses to kind of say whether, you know, how busy you are, how much exercise and activity you're doing. But that does not account for the darker pigmentation already existing in people of color. And therefore you're getting inaccurate readings. Um, so I think for me, that's something that we need to be really start thinking about now. Um, it doesn't make sense for us to be creating tech that's for a diverse um, user group, but there's no diversity in the, in the process to create it. So whether, you know, I was reading a, a, an article from WeForum, I believe, on, on the lack of diversity in startups. And I believe that that's a problem, not just for the startup sector, you know, as a, it's a problem for the startup sector as a whole, but also a problem for the health startup sector. And I think we need to start being more, um, what's the right word for this, kind of more intentional mm. on, on, on the spaces that we're creating. So yeah, that's something I'm really interested in. And I get to work, um, uh, and support some of my friends who organize the African Healthcare Hackathon. Um, and I think 
for me, and it's amazing to see a diverse set of innovators kind of really coming up the pipeline. Um, to be specific, so the hackathon really is the competition that, that solves the real life problems of African organizations and businesses by bringing together the smartest minds and the most passionate people. Um, but for me, when I, when I supported last year, I was just thrown aback by the diversity of people from all walks of life, different backgrounds, where it's, you know, deep tech, design, um, and some really amazing ideas were, and solutions were developed from that. And, you know, they've supported organizations such as Medicine Soft Frontiers, Save the Children, and UNICEF. Like, it's really incredible things. But when I see that, I am, I'm excited for the future, for the future of, of what's happening. You know, I got to hear in that same hackathon from Mansata Kurang, who's the founder of VR Revival, an immersive virtual reality application for brain dementia patients, which I'm just like, wow, you know. Yeah, I, I'm just very excited for what's happening. And but, I mean, ex excited, I, I suppose, cautiously optimistic, I, I suppose is probably the, the term that we, we were both chatting about offline as well, because excited is one way of looking at because we are really excited to see the new, the new um, outreach uh, programs and, mm. and the diversity programs. But as you say, intentional is the right word here, because and you've worked very closely on the COVID-19 work. And I think it's, I think it's been a time when we've all kind of sat back and, and really been smacked in the face with some of the, the societal issues that have led to poor health outcomes for certain groups of populations. And I, I'm hopeful that some of the technology that we're building um, and some of the things that we can come out of, of London, of diverse communities around the UK can really help to solve these problems. But I mean, what do you, what do you think is, is, is happening in the community that we can kind of go out there and solve? And I, I don't know, I mean, it's such a broad question, but like, how can we get started here? I think that's a really good question. Um, I, you know, I think an aspect of it is encouraging those who are in the community um, so really community-led solutions, I think that's the way forward. Um, I think often we forget to take people on a journey and we try and just tell people what to do and that doesn't really work well. I think, you know, through events and organizations like the Hackathon, through, you know, research, um, not, sorry, not research, but outreach rather, um, going out uh, into the community, encouraging people to say, if you have an idea, it, can, it is a valid idea, you know, there's no certain status quo you have to be for, for, oh, I think the best way to put it is encouraging people to fix the problems that they see and encouraging um, organizations to support those individuals through funding, through mentoring, um, through knowledge share. I love that, community-led solutions. And in healthcare, I mean, that is exactly what we need to do, right? The way that the healthcare system is designed is, is that we're locally looking after the local populations, you know, local um, teams of nurses, doctors, um, uh, policymakers, all of these different people, they get together locally, they fund the local communities and they support the local services. But yet the technologies that we create are created on a bigger scale and not thought about in the same way. Why is that disparity happening? No, well, yeah, I think that's, I'd say one of the, the, the things that we need to focus on solving. Um, I think going forward, we need to make sure that we are, we're providing solutions that can be adapted for these specific needs specific communities and I'm you know as you note kind of cautiously optimistic of some of the things I'm seeing where whether it's ensuring that 
uh, we are having a targeted approach. I believe Birmingham um, are doing kind of some work on mental health and how do they make it so that um, they have a greater usage in their Asian populations. And it's creating those targeted solutions. It's understanding and being able to adapt to the community that you serve. And I mean, the question is, right, is whose responsibility is it? Is it the healthcare providers? Is it policy? Is it, is it the tech companies? Is it, you know, is it the patient population? Whose responsibility is it to make sure that we are creating tools of the future that is, that is um, for a diverse population? I think I'd say it's everybody's needs um, and it's not needs but requirements. Um, you know, as noted by the Black and Minority Ethnic, you know, NHS Leadership Forum, engaging with the BME community to better meet their healthcare needs is not simply a moral imperative or an exercise in political correctness. You know, intervening early and providing BAME communities with the right health and social care could save the NHS money, you know, by reducing health inequalities. It's everybody's problem. So what have you seen that is coming out of the UK that has given you inspiration for the future of how we're going to be tackling healthcare in the UK? I think what is what I've seen that makes me, you know, quite optimistic is diverse, talented people solving solutions. Um, so I've, as I've mentioned already, Mansata Kurang and and her, you know, her work with VR Revival, um, a young, I think a final year medical student, Ivan Beckley, who's the co-founder and CEO of Suvera Health, which seeks to enable clinicians to follow up with their patients remotely, efficiently, and conveniently. Um, you know, the work with um, Dr. Funke Bimbola, um, who's the CEO of the Austin Bronte Consultancy. You know, she supports and champions kind of driving change and diversity and inclusion within organizations. Um, so I think some of those names, just to kind of name a few, are, are things that really excite me and seeing, especially, you know, female, you know, diverse led organizations from like Dr. Amber Michelle Hill, who's working in, you know, in the AI based, you know, sector, which she founded Argrid and which creates technologies that facilitate the streamlining of medical research. Um, and that's just to name a few. Um, you know, reading about all of these people just makes me excited. Um, and I'm hoping that we can all get behind this level of innovation and this level of diversity in startups. Fantastic. I think what a great way to, to end that there, because I think that throughout all of your journey, your personal journey, it's really spoke volumes that you have tried to see how you can bring others into your journey along the whole path. And, and it showed at the end all of the different uh, innovators that you've seen and you've worked with. And I think that it, it really does. It really does give us cautious optimism, as we say, a cautious optimism for the future of what um, diverse tech will look like in the healthcare space. So thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I had such a delight speaking with Barbara Diaguazio and I hope you enjoyed listening to it too. If you would like to learn more about the Royal Society of Medicine or the Digital Health Council, head on down to the Royal Society of Medicine's website and you can see some of the latest events that we've got coming up. We would love to see you there. Bye for now.